Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. been a journey. What a blessing it is to be a child of God. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Jude, chapter nothing. So turn to Jude, verse 1 and 2 this morning for our text. Again, continue our series on our theme for the year, making a difference. Today, we'll be talking about being a testimony, being a testimony. Jude, verse 1 and 2. This book is so appropriate for the times we're living in. I'm telling you, the more I study, the more I look at it, the more I just think the Lord really laid all this out for this year as we end the year, and we'll be in this book for several weeks. Look at Jude, verse 1 and 2. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us and the blessing of being a child of God. And God, we pray today that you would enable us by your Spirit, Lord, to see the significance of your love for us. Lord, that we might live according to your plan and your pattern that your Son set for us. And I pray that you would again just help the hearers this morning. May they be attentive. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our theme verse is found in verse 22. I'm going to go read that. And it says, verse 22 of Jude, And some have compassion, making a difference. Making a difference. And we certainly can have and we can make a difference in our world today. The theme of the book of Jude is earnestly contending for the faith. That's found in verse 3. In verse 3, earnestly contending for the faith. We are living in the last days, if you didn't know that. I think we're living in the last of the last days. The time is approaching. Uh, Jesus Christ is soon to return. And the Bible refers to us and encourages us to stand firm in the last days, to stand firm in the faith. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, one of our themes a few years ago was stand firm or stand fast in the faith. Quit ye like men. Uh, Be a man. Uh, Stand firm. Stand fast in this day. Our theme last year was continuing. We find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, And Paul encourages Timothy to continue in the faith. And then here we see Jude's encouraging us to contend for the faith. So we we ought to stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. We are to continue in the faith in these last days. And then we are to contend. So it's not just about standing firm and holding your, your position. Not just about continuing in the faith, but also sometimes it takes contention. And then fighting for the faith. And standing up for what's right. And I'm telling you today, we're there. We're there. We're not no longer just having to stand firm. And we're no longer just having to continue. But there are times in which we need to, to come out fighting. And I, I mean that in, the, in a biblical sense. I mean to come out and, and to defend the faith. To come out and, and, and uh, defend the faith in this world that we live in. I'm telling you. Unbelievable what's going on in our world. I mentioned last week that this was the weather forecast for the last days. Jude is the weather forecast for the last days. I got up this morning and came to church early, 
and it looked really cloudy. I said, I don't, I don't, it wasn't supposed to rain. And then, uh, so I watched, the, I watched the weather on my phone while I was driving, the three minutes to get here. And uh, it's supposed to rain this evening. We hope it does. And so, uh, cooler weather tomorrow. Amen? Woo! And uh, Texas, we always love cooler weather. But uh, the weather forecast in the last days, found in the book of Jude. Here are the signs. Here are the, here are the indications that the last days are here. And Jude gives us that. In fact, in Matthew 16 and also in Luke, Jesus says to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, ye can discern the face of the sky. He was saying, you can look at the face of the sky, you can look and see if it's red, or you can see the, the, um, the clouds and may determine whether or not it's going to rain, maybe predict that it's going to rain or not. But he says, he says to them, but, ye, but can ye not discern the times? He says, you might, you might be able to forecast the weather, you can forecast the weather, but you can't discern the times you're in. Listen, we need to be able to discern the times we're in. Amen. And Jude gives us indications of that. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 gives us indication of that. And 2 Peter gives us indications of that, of what to expect when we come to the last days. Jude is the vestibule for the book of Revelation, the next book over. It's the, it's the vestibule. It's the introduction, if you would, to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, in chapters 1 through 3, we have the churches mentioned. We have the pastors of the church. And then we have the church of Laodicea and the church of, church of Philippi. And we have the churches mentioned. But in chapter 4, the church is gone. And, after, and, and from after chapter 3, you have no more mention of the church because the church has been raptured out. It's been caught up and it's gone. I'm thankful today that we are not as a church, as born-again, saved, baptized believers, that we are not appointed under wrath, the Bible says. That we will not face the great tribulation. That we, we believe that Christ could return today. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. All prophecy that needs to be fulfilled has been fulfilled. And Christ, the Bible says, could return today. And uh, I'm so thankful that, again, that we as a church, we as born-again baptized believers will not face the time of Jacob's trouble. We will not face the wrath of God that's poured out upon this earth during the seven-year tribulation. But we'll be caught up to be with Christ in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Gone. Gone. We're out of here. But there are indications of that coming. There's indications. There's, there's uh, signs that the times are coming. The last days are here. That the, the rapture is about to happen. And so here we have Jude giving us a lot of those signs. In Jude's day, the apostolic age was coming to a close. By apostolic age, we mean the apostles were... Uh, dying off and being martyred for the Lord. John was still around, of course. John was the last apostle to die, and he, he was there on the Isle of Patmos. But so Jude is speaking there in the last of the apostolic age. And in the last of that apostolic age, a lot of, of apostasy had come, into the, had come into the church and the churches. Gnosticism and many other erroneous uh, doctrine had infiltrated the churches. And so Jude was saying, hey, careful. He was warning them. The apostates are among us. Those who would say that they are religious but have no, no, uh, no spirit of God in them. And so he's warning them. Can I tell you today, we're at the end of the church age. The church age. The church age will, be, will end at the time of the rapture. And at the end of this church age, we are reminded by Jude that that we need to be careful that there are apostates who have infiltrated the churches. And boy, what, what evidence there is of that today. All you got to do is turn on your TV. 
We need to wake up. Jude says, be ready. Jude is the final warning before the trumpet sounds. Hey, the trumpet's about to sound. Be careful. Here's here's evidence of, of his coming. Final warning before the trumpet sounds and Christ returns. Look at chapter, look at verse 1. It's just natural to say chapter. It's hard, isn't it? Verse 1. Last week we preached on the servant and how we can make a difference by being a servant. And so verse 1 we see a special person, a special person. The servant, he says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Again, our identity in Christ, helping us to understand what it means to be a child of God. Other, other um, identities are we're friends of God, the Bible says. The Bible says we're lights and we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We're, we're sheep. We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And here Jude says we're servants. And the word servant or this analogy is used more than any of the other uh, analogies that, we, that are used in the Bible to help us understand what it means to be a child of God. We're a servant. We're a bond slave. We're a bond servant of Jesus Christ. This bond servant or bond slave is a servant by choice. In the Old Testament, when someone was to be released from, from their servanthood, from their slavery, every seven years a Jewish slave was released. Every seven years all the Jewish slaves were released. Well, what a mosaic law. That was the law. That's amazing, isn't it? No matter whether they were a slave because of, you know, they, they, they were in debt and needed to be a slave in order to pay back their debt or whatever the case is, but they were released ever seven years. But let's say they didn't want to be released. At the end of that seven years, they wanted to stay with their master. They would make a choice to stay, and it's called a bond slave, a bond servant. And the, the master would take the slave and put them... Uh, their ear lobe up against the doorpost and he would take an awl or a, a punch and he would punch a hole in the slave's ear. And that hole in the ear was an indication that that particular servant was a bond servant. That he was a servant or she was a servant by choice. By choice. And that's what the Bible is referring to us as Christians. That we are servants of Jesus Christ. We are, we are owned by him. We are bond servants. But because of our, the love of the owner and because we love him, we serve him of our own free will. Mm. Owned, submissive, ought to be devoted and dependent upon him and accountable to him. And again, remind you that 1 Corinthians 6.20 says we are bought with a price. We are bought with a price. It was the price of Jesus Christ's life that bought us from the slave market of sin. It's, it's the blood of Jesus that paid the price in order that we might be free. Slave, free from the slave market of sin. Listen, I'm thankful today that I am a servant of the Lord and not a servant of sin. A servant of sin is hard away. It's a, it's a rocky path. The servant of Jesus Christ is the best way. It's the good way. I'm telling you, Jesus said... Hey, take, uh, come, upon, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Listen, the burden or the yoke of the Lord is, is, is a lot better and way lighter than the burden and the yoke of sin and Satan. 
the best way is the Lord's way. Listen, we can make a difference by following in his, the Lord's steps, by serving others. We ought to be a servant of others, a servant of others. Serve your spouse, serve your children, serve your boss, serve your neighbor. And we follow in the steps of Jesus and we can make a difference to those around us by serving others. Jesus said himself, he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. We need to follow in his steps. Make a difference by being a servant. Again, we look at Jude, he says, the brother of James. And so this is the, um, he was the half-brother of Jesus. So James was the half-brother of Jesus. And Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. I didn't give you this reference last week, but if you want to write it down, you can. John 7, 5 is the verse that says that his brothers, I'm talking about his blood brothers, his half-brothers, did not believe on him while they were being raised. While they were in Mary and Joseph's house, they did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, they believed. They became believers in the Messiah. Now, no doubt they knew there was a difference in, the, in their brother. Because you talk about a brother who, 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 never, you know, who never sinned, who never, who never uh, you know, tried to knock their block off or do anything like that, you know, like, like brothers do. Um, a brother who mind, who mind the parents and, and uh, who is not a sinner in disposition, deed, or desire. But the true belief in the Messiah as Jesus came at the point of the resurrection. I also want to just input in here that he could have started his letter by saying Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, but he didn't. He said Jude, the bondslave of Jesus Christ. James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his epistle starts the same way. James, the servant of Jesus Christ. Again, not seeing themselves. It's about, not about us, guys. It's about him. Amen? It's not about you. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's all about him. We need to be servants of Jesus. Number two, not only do we see a special person in the person of Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, but we see a special people. He says there, to them that are, are sanctified. So he is writing to these people, these special people. These, he's writing to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. These special people were sanctified, set apart. That's what the word means, set apart. I just want to start out by saying that sanctification is, is God's work in your life. That you cannot do this on your own. That God works in us and through us. We are set apart, separated from the world unto God. We are separated from the world. I, when I was growing up, well, there was a, a lot of emphasis placed on uh, coming out from the world and be separate, saith the Lord. How, if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And there was a lot, of, a lot of emphasis put on the don'ts and don't do this and don't do that. And, and uh, how can two walk together lest they, be, lest they be agreed? And there was a, a lot of emphasis put on being separated from the world, to be set apart from the world. But listen, that's not... All that sanctification is. That's only half of it. The other half is we are separated from the world unto God. In other words, there is a purpose for our sanctification. We are separated unto God. Listen, there's so much that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so many things that he has blessed us with and given us and, and uh, allowed us to have. It's, it's an amazing, amazing thing to be a child of God. We're separated from the world unto God. We are specially loved. Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to turn there, so I want you to see the wording. Look at Genesis chapter 2, talking about being sanctified. And, 
Here in chapter 1, we have the six days of creation that God created the, uh, the heavens and the earth. He created all the world and the universe in six 24-hour literal days. Amen? That's what the Bible says. I just believe the Bible. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, we see the seventh day. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and, class, sanctified it, because that, it, that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So on the seventh day, he ceased from his creative activity. And don't think the ideal that, you know, that, that God rested in, the, in that he needed to, you know, to, to, to take a nap. God, God, God doesn't, you know, God doesn't lose power. God can expend energy and do things, and yet it doesn't take any of his, any of his power. I, I, I do something like this morning, I'm preaching, and I'm doing all this, I'm going to get tired, and I'm going to need to rest physically rest. God doesn't need to physically rest. God doesn't need to rest. I'm going to expend energy and power, but God never, anyway, it's, it's, you can't wrap your, you can't wrap your brain around it. That when God does something, he created the worlds with the, with the breath of his nostrils, with the breath of his mouth. And yet when he was done, he had the same amount of energy he started with. You're welcome. That's our God, amen? All-powerful God who, ne- who, is, who, who never runs out of, uh, of power. It's, it's an amazing, amazing thought. But here it says he rested. He ceased from his creative activity. He ceased from his work. Why? To set apart the seventh day. To sanctify it. To set it apart. To make it different from the other six days. He set it apart for a purpose. <laughs> That, we, that, it, that it might be laid aside to worship the God on that day. Set aside for the Lord on that day. By the way, we ought to be using Sunday for that. Really ought to set aside the day. And I'm thankful you're here this morning. I commend you for being here. We're set aside for a purpose. And that purpose is to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. The word sanctified means set apart. It also means to be declared holy. So holy and sanctified are closely akin to the same word. And the... When we are sanctified, we are declared holy. That the desire of every child of God ought to be that of living holy. By the way, it's an indication you're saved. If you have a desire to live holy, to live right, that's an indication, that's a, a mark that you're saved. Holy Spirit living in you. I think about, again, the, when I was growing up, the word justified. Justified. I learned that... By the way, in the Bible, there's some big words, and we ought to know them as Christians. A lot of the, a lot of teachers today will, you know, water it down and try to use other words. But you ought to know what the word justification is. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. We know that word, and most of us do. And but it's more than just, just as if I'd never sinned, having my sins forgiven. It's that the record of Jesus Christ was put in my sinful record's place. So closely akin to that is sanctification. And that is, I am declared righteous before God. I am sanctified before God. In other words, it's God at the point of salvation that changes my sinful record. Listen, he erases my sinful record. 
and puts Christ's sinless record in its place. Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago and lived a sinless life, never one time having a sinful thought, never one time performing a sinful deed. And he lived out his 33 and a half years sinlessly. And that sinless record, when I get saved, and when you get saved, when you accept Christ as your Savior, that, sinful, that sinless record is put in place of my sinful record. My sinful record is erased. My sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. That's a long ways. They're thrown in the depths of the sea, the Bible says, and never to be remembered anymore. My sins are gone. But not as my sins gone and my sinful record erased, but I have a sinless record before God. Listen, folks, before God, I'm perfect. My position before God is that of his dear son, Jesus Christ. My standing before God is the standing of Jesus Christ. It's, it's hard for us to conceive of that, of, that, of that principle. But before God, I'm legally sinless. My legal record before God, my standing before God, my position before God is sinless. Listen, someday you will not get to heaven and there will be a big balance up there. You know, a big balancing scale with the, you know, and, and your good works will be put on one side and your bad works put on one side. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, you get to go to heaven. That's, that's not what's going to happen. When I get to heaven, I'll stand before God. Perfect. Sinless. Because my sinful record has been erased. And Christ's sinless record put in its place. Say, I'm not going to heaven based upon my merit and what I have done. I'm going to heaven based upon what Jesus did and his merit. I'm going to... See, it's not about what I do. It's about what he did. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not a works that any man should boast. Salvation's by grace through faith. It's a gift given to us. If you simply come to Jesus and repent of your sins, understanding that you are a sinner, we're all sinners. As it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Come to Jesus, believing that he lived, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Putting your faith and trust in him and him alone as your only means of salvation. Not in the baptismal waters. Not, not in your church and not, in, not on the church robe. Not in being a good person, but putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, it, it's about transferring your trust from works unto Jesus. <laughs> My standing before God, that record before God is sinless. Now, my standing before God is as if Christ was standing in front of him, but my, my state is still a sinner. Positionally, my standing before God or my position before God is that of Jesus Christ. And when he sees me, he sees the blood of Jesus. Amen. But practically, I am still a sinner saved by grace. Living this life, I'm thankful for the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ has been given to me in my record. And then lastly, not, not conclusion, the last to this point. Not only we set apart and declared holy, but to be holy. So yes, we're set apart from the world to, to God and to live a holy life 
for him, to please him and obey him. We're declared holy, perfect. Uh, our record's been erased, our sinful record erased. Christ's sinless record put in its place. But we're also to be holy. We're to live out that record. We're to live out that holiness, to live it out. I like this illustration came across it. You know, the greatest defense against COVID-19 is a healthy body. Hello? The greatest defense against apostasy and the world we're living in today is to be healthy spiritually. To be healthy spiritually. Are you healthy? Joshua was leading the children of Israel. Moses was to be left on uh, this side of Jordan. And before they were to, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they were to cross over Jordan into Canaan land. Remind you that Canaan land is not a picture primarily of heaven. Canaan land is a picture of the greater Christian life. It's a picture of the abundant life. It's a picture of the spirit-filled life. Jordan's a picture of dying to self. See, they'd come to the Red Sea and Moses used his rod and, they, and the waters parted and they crossed over. When they come to the river Jordan, they're about to cross over and they're not going to use the rod this time. They're going to use the priests. And unlike last time at the Red Sea, the waters parted, they walked over on dry land. This time the priests actually take the Ark of the Covenant and they walk into the water. And as they walk into the water, the waters begin to part. I'm telling you, this living by sight was over. Living by faith was being put in its place. Before they lived by sight, they just followed the cloud. They followed the fire. But now, <laughs> they're following the priests. I hope it parts. Now, God did say to the children of Israel, stay back from the priests a little ways. I think it said 2,000 cubits. And stay back from the, from the priests a little ways. But man, I believe as the priests entered the water, that it parted every step they took. Just kind of, and then parted some more. And then parted some more. By the way, the Bible says the river Jordan was over its banks. It wasn't a little, you know, a little creek. It was a river. And he said before this, Joshua said to the people of Israel, he said to the nation of Israel, he said, listen, before we go over Jordan, you need to sanctify yourself. Sanctify yourself. Well, does that mean, does that, does that, that mean to be set apart? Yeah. Does that mean that we're, we're, we're a declared holy before God? Mm, that's not really the application here. No, he said that you need to sanctify yourselves. You need to take your clothes and wash them. It's a picture of us getting the sin out of our life. It's a picture of walking right and doing right. Listen, we need to live holy lives. Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. You want to make a difference today in the lives of others? Live a holy life. Be an example. Be light in the world. Be salt in the world. How do we do this? John 17, 6 through 17, Jesus prays. By the way, he prays for the believers. He prays for us. And in Jesus, really the Lord's prayer found in John 17. He says in that prayer, he says, Lord, sanctify them, sanctify them. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctification is found in the word of God. It's found in the word of God. It's found in the word of God. As we read the Bible, as we, as we obey it, we are sanctified. Justification happens at the time of salvation. I am justified. When I knelt at the age of six years old 
and I accepted Christ as my Savior, I was justified immediately, instantaneously I was justified. My sins are forgiven and Christ's sinless record put in its place. Now I'm being sanctified. It's a process. It's a process whereby God is conforming us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took Him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient He must be. He's still working on me. He justified me. Now He's sanctifying me. He's working in me and through me, conforming me to the image of His Son. He uses various means to do so. He uses the Word of God. He uses the Holy Spirit. He uses trials and detours in my life and many events in my life to help and conform me to the image of His Son. My purpose in life, your purpose in life as a Christian is to glorify God and fellowship with Him forever. I glorify God in my body by living a holy life, by living a holy life, that others may see that and glorify God which is in heaven. We ought to be holy, sanctified. And then we see the next word is preserved. Preserved. That means kept. It means kept. I'm thankful that when, when I got saved at the age of six, I'm always saved. Oh, there, there they go again. Them Baptists believing always, once saved, always saved. It's not Baptist, it's Bible. When I accepted Christ as my Savior, I was saved eternally. Right? Everlasting life. That's, that's everlasting. I mean, it's everlasting. I don't know how else to define it. Kept, preserved, shellacked. Some of y'all get that one. Shellac wood, you cover it. Preserved, pre- preservation, preserved. Psalm 37, 28 talks about the saints being preserved eternally, forever. But the wicked will be cut off. I'm thankful I'm preserved today. John 10, Jesus Christ said, My sheep hear my voice and they know me. In the next verse there, in verses 28 and 29, he says that, that the saved, those who have come to him, are in his hands. And that no man can pluck them out of Jesus' hand. Then in verse 29, you ought to have this written in the back of your Bible. John 10, 28 and 29. And out beside it, you ought to put eternal security or uh, once saved, always saved. If somebody comes and asks you, why do you believe that once you're saved, you're always saved? You can take them to this verse. Jesus says, I'm, you, you are in my hand and no man can pluck you out of my hand. Then verse 29 says that we're in the Father's hand. And that I and my Father are one. When I was a kid growing up, the preacher always put a quarter in his hand and, and closed it and then had some little kid come up and try to get it out. And that kid would just struggle and struggle and struggle to try to get that out of his hand, you know. And then the preacher would say, listen, not only are you in Jesus' hand, but the Bible says that you're in God's hand. Now try to get the quarter out. And of course, the kid, little kid would struggle, couldn't get it out. Listen, <laughs> no one can get us out of the Father's hand. You're saved eternally. Oh, but you say, well, if we're saved eternally, that gives me a license to do whatever I want to. Then I can just live it up. No, listen, when I got saved, there was a change in me. I received a new nature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen, I want to live right. I want to be holy. I serve the Lord because I, I love Him and I, I love Him for what He did for me. And I, I love Him as my, my Master, my Lord. And I have a different want to on the inside. I may not always live up to it. And I, and I fail many times. But I want to live right. I want to do right. I don't feel like it has a license to do whatever I want to. In fact, Paul says it many times in Galatians and other places that the grace of God is not a license to live how you want. 
Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace should abound? God forbid. No, he says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Grace was not given to us to live how we want. The radical grace movement going on in a lot of churches today. No, grace wasn't given to us to live how we want. Grace was given to us to live a godly life. It was the grace of God that empowers us, enables us to live a holy life. Because I can't do it on my own. But I can do it through the Son, Jesus Christ, by way of the Holy Spirit power that He's given me. Preserved. Then called. The next word is called. Summoned. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. We sing that song in the invitation, right? That's because our salvation does not originate with us. That is Jesus who called us. I'm so glad for that still small voice, aren't you? I'm glad at the age of six that still small voice spoke to my heart, said I need to be saved. I'm thank- thankful that I acted upon that. No, he's calling. By the way, he calls all to repentance. Oh, preacher, you know, he just calls the elect. No, he calls all. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He loves the whole world. All can be saved. Not all will be, but all can be. I'm so thankful for the calling, the calling of God, the Holy Spirit in my life. Special, special persons. I'm thankful that we are sanctified, preserved, and called. Lastly, a special prayer. Look at verse 2. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Here we see three special graces given by God. Mercy, peace, and love. Mercy, that is those things which God takes out of our life that we deserve. In other words, that God would not give us what he's saying, Judah's saying, I pray that God would not give you what you deserve. I pray that God would put mercy in your life. By the way, the Bible says that God delights in mercy. He's not grudgingly giving out mercy. He delights in mercy. He delights in not giving us what we deserve. Listen, I deserve hell, in, in, in hell for all eternity. I'm a sinner, but I'm thankful in his mercy. He did not give me what I deserve, but he saved me by his marvelous grace. At the point of salvation, we experience mercy. And then we're sinners, as I said. We just sinners saved by grace. So daily, uh, Judas saying here, he says, I'm hoping daily you receive mercy. Listen, I sin every day. And I don't deserve God's mercy every day, but he does expend that mercy to me. Doesn't give me what I deserve. Then next is peace. We think about peace, the peace with God. I'm thankful that when I got saved, I received peace with God. See, before I was saved, when I was born in this world, the Bible says I was born at enmity with God. I was born at war with God. I was born out of fellowship with God. I was born separated from God. But God, in his mercy, (laughs) sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins and be buried and, and rise again from the dead, that that fellowship might be restored, that I might have peace with God. It is Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man, who brings God and man back together again and in fellowship together. I hope you've experienced this peace. And so Judah's saying, Uh, having experienced the peace with God and also the peace of God. 
As a Christian, we can experience peace that passes all understanding. As a Christian, we can experience contentment and joy and peace. What a blessing it is to have that peace during the troubling times. I think here too, you've got to remember the context. He's talking about in these perilous times, in these last days. He's saying in these last days that you as a Christian can experience peace. He's praying that they would experience peace in the time of turmoil, in the time of, 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 of chaos. But we live in chaos today. And as a Christian, you can experience peace in the midst of the chaos by way of Jesus Christ. Peace. God-given peace. Serenity and rest are found in Jesus Christ. Then he says to experience that love. In other words, may God's love to you be very clear. May, may God's love, he's praying, he's saying, I hope that you experience mercy on a daily basis. I hope that you experience that peace that comes with knowing God and the peace that we have. And that peace, by the way, will extend to our fellow man. But he says, I hope that you find and understand and know that God's love is obvious to you. That in other words, that love, the love of God is be very clear to you. He's praying for them. Listen, in this chaotic world, may we be reminded that God loves you, that God loves me. And it ought to be very clear to you. You got up out of bed this morning, probably gotten in, you know, fairly nice car, depending on what brand it is. If you came in a Dodge, maybe he doesn't love you as much as he loves me. But you, you drove here in a car. After church today, though I told you not to think about that, but after church today, you're going to go eat somewhere or maybe at the house. I know I'm having roast and potatoes and carrots at the house. My favorite meal on Sunday. God loves you. You know, there's multiple millions and billions around the world that, did not, that does not have that ability that you had this morning. Go to a third world country. Hmm. God loves you. God loves you. It's very clear. It's very obvious. Jude wanted to make that very, very clear. Now it says there that that be multiplied. Um, one plus one is two. Two plus one is three. But three times three is nine. So it doesn't say that it might be multiplied, that it might be increased, you know, one plus one, you know, no, he says it might be multiplied, multiplication, that it might be abundant, that mercy and love and peace may abound in your life. He's praying for them. I pray that mercy, peace, and love abounds in your life today. Then we see these three graces. And the prayer that these three graces, mercy, peace, and love, be multiplied in their lives. Overflowing, he says, overflowing. As we think about these principles, we know that we can make a difference by being a servant. Understand that by being a servant, by serving others, that you can make a difference. Jesus was our greatest example. He was the servant of servants. He washed the disciples' feet. May we serve others around us. The difference in your marriage will be that if you'll serve your spouse... She's not there to serve you. He's not there to serve. We're to serve each other. Amen? Serve your neighbor. Follow in the steps of Jesus. We can make a difference by realizing that we have uh, been set apart. 
that we have a righteous record before God, that we're holy before the Lord, then we ought to live holy and be a testimony to those around us. We can make a difference by being a testimony to those around us. We are kept by the Lord and called by the Lord. Spurgeon said this, he said, To improve a dark night, give us brighter light. Right? I went out last night, did a little walking, and I was going to water, we got some new grass, and I was going to water the grass, and I went and turned the porch light on. You ever go outside and it's dark and you turn the porch light on? What happens? Brightens things up, doesn't it? Look, in the darkness, the world needs a bright light. And I'm telling you, the porch light makes a huge difference at night, and so can you make a huge difference in the, to those around you. As you live a life that is holy, as you live a life that's a testimony before them, as, as you show them peace, as you show them love, as you show them mercy, as God has shown you mercy, and God has shown you love, and God has shown you peace, we can be that bright light, we can be that porch light in a dark world. Spurgeon also said this, he said, The short way to the conversion of sinners is the sanctified saint. The shortest way to see a person get saved is for them to see a sanctified, a Christian who is living out a holy life. Hello. Now, I don't believe that just your holy life can lead somebody to Jesus or actually convert them. You're going to have to tell them of Jesus. But I tell you what, that, that light that, you're, that you are in a dark world, that, that testimony you are in a dark world will draw them when something comes into their life. And they'll say, there's something different about him. There's something different about her and because you've been set apart. And, and they will come to you and ask questions. And then you can give them the hope that's within you. You can tell them of Jesus. You can be that light. Let me read that Spurgeon quote again. The short way, the easiest way to the salvation of sinners is a saint who is living and who is living right, who's a testimony. So we can make a difference, again, by being a servant, by, again, living this holy life. And then we can be, make a difference by experiencing the mercy, peace, and love of God and sharing that with others. It is the best way. The way of sinners, the Bible says, the way of the transgressor is hard. The yoke of the world is heavy but the yoke of Jesus is light. Oh my goodness, people. The best way to live this life now. I'm thankful I'm going to heaven. I'm thankful that when I, when I got saved that heaven's my home. I have an eternal home in heaven. But I'm thankful I have a better life now. He loved me. He gave me an abundant life now. Life was not meant to be endured. It was meant to be enjoyed. And when we get saved, God wants you to enjoy your life to experience that peace and that love that only he can give and then share that peace and love with others. But they don't have to go the way of the world. They don't have to live in, in, with discontent, that they can have peace and contentment and joy by way of Jesus Christ. You can make a difference by being a testimony, a light to others, a cup of cool water. You ever been really, really hot? And a cup of cool water makes a difference, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Good Texas word. A cup of cool water, in Jesus' name, will make all the difference in the world to somebody else if we'll just do it. Amen?
Let's all stand. Hymn 163, only trust him. Only trust him. After we pray, Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to know that we're a child of God. What a blessing it is to experience the mercy, peace, and love of the Lord. And God, may we as Christians live a holy life that we might be a light to those around us. You've said that we are to be a light in the world. Lord, may we shine our light bright in this dark time. Lord, may we experience the peace of God in this chaotic world. Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.